A few weeks ago, we started off on Ash Wednesday um, with a Lenten journey. Lent always seems like a really long time. I think Christians have cornered the market over Hallmark on Lent. Hallmark's not going to have a, hey, you've sinned, but Jesus saved you card. Um, But we proclaim that good news in Lent, that though we are sinners, we have a Savior who has given us grace so much so that he would give his life for us. And we reflect on that journey every Lent. On Ash Wednesday, we talked about Jesus on the cross asking God to forgive those who persecuted him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we reflected on whether or not we are one of them. And then last week, we um, looked at the thief on the cross. As Jesus hung there between two criminals, and one mocked him, and one looked at him and said, Jesus, remember me when you are in paradise. And Jesus says, today, he didn't make him wait. He said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Because this thief saw him for who he is, the King of kings, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. And today, we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 26 And 27, we're still at that scene of the crucifixion. Jesus has looked down and seen his mother and the beloved disciple who we believe to be John. And so here here is what scripture tells us. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother And from that time on, this disciple took Mary into his home. In this passage, we see um, a couple of things come out that are key. And one is that not only was Jesus, um, not only was Mary mother to Jesus, but Jesus was her Savior as a woman standing in need of grace. We see the connection of family created through a family of faith. And, um, you know, often in Scripture we go and we see these genealogies. We see the, the long Scripture passage at the beginning of Matthew with all those names that are really hard to pronounce. Later in Luke we see another genealogy um, shortly after um, John the Baptist is introduced. And we wonder, why, why do we need to know who begat whom and um, why this uh, lineage is there? And part of it's prophecy, but part of it is it tells us about the identity of Jesus. And as we go to Scripture, we also see the identity of who we are because of Jesus. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be blood relatives today. Why is it so important that we know who we are and where we came from and where we belong? How many people in here have a membership to Ancestry.com? 
that how many have done a DNA kit to figure out where? There you go. There you go. Why do you want to know that? Why do you, do you want to know so you can travel somewhere? Do you, what, what does it tell you when you find out who you are? What does it tell you when you go back to 1800s or 1200 and find out who your family was? Those identities are important. In, um, in seminary, we had to do things called genograms. They're similar to genealogies. They, um, they do a lot. Um, doctors tend to take something more similar to a genogram because Lewis will tell you if there's something that runs in your family, you know you have to look out for that in your own life. If you parallel my mother's medical history next to mine, you're going to be like, is this the same person? Um, it's kind of weird and uncanny, but um, it's also helpful to be able to know what I need to do to be healthy and to know kind of what's coming next. Psychological conditions can often be traced in patterns in families and even our spiritual lives. Statistics have shown that if you bring your children to church and live a Christian life, they are more likely to grow up and be in church to discover what God's Word says for them as adults and to bring their children. It makes a difference. Genealogies often tell us the stories of our lineage, of of who married whom and what their occupations were, what languages they spoke, what their names were. My middle name is Elwyn. And y'all, if you'd asked me that at 10 years old, I would have gone, Elwyn. And I would have hung my head. But I'm going to tell you about my middle name. My middle name comes from Ellie and Winnie, and they are my two grandmothers, and they are strong women, one of whom survived three different tornadoes, even though she was thrown face first into a mud bank with one and in a ditch in another and way down the road with the other. She was stubborn. So if y'all ever wonder where I get it from, you blame Ellie Jo. My grandmother Winnie, when she moved to Fayette County and she walked up on a house and this man was roofing the house and he nailed his thumb, she said, that's my guy. And that was her guy. Other people asked her out, but she had set her sights on her Joe. And that was it. He was the superintendent. She was the one-room school teacher. They got married. They had their family. And I'm here today because she was stubborn. And I'm so glad she was. There are stories that come from our family that tell us a lot about who we grow up to be. One of the things that's so important about family is that those things are handed down. We have a second birth in our life, though. Nicodemus was told about this birth. He went to Christ, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus tells him, you're not going to go back to your mother's womb. You're going to be born again in faith. You're going to be made new when you receive this life. You're going to become an heir. It was important to be an heir. The Jews, if, if you were in the lineage of Abraham, if you had that bloodline, you were an heir to the faith. 
But when Christ came, he made it so we all can become heirs to that faith. We are princes and princesses. I love the the Facebook meme that says whenever you're having that bad day or, you know, that you just feel like things aren't going right, straighten your crown, girl. Remind them who you're. You're a child of the king. Guys, you can straighten that crown too. Amy Grant wrote a song called In My Father's Eyes. And it's in my father's eyes. Everything is different. I'm often told I have my mother's eyes. My sister has my father's eyes. They're blue. They're beautiful. Um, But we both have our heavenly father's eyes. And those are given to you when you experience the grace that comes from the blood of the cross that allows us to come before him and find new life. And when we receive our Father's eyes, our Heavenly Father's eyes, we, everything, everything is different. You see things differently. Instead of seeing, hopefully, that person in front of us in traffic that has been cutting us off and been annoying and all that, and getting frustrated, maybe we stop and we say a prayer. We don't know what kind of day they're having. They could be rushing to get to the hospital to see their parent for the last time. We don't know what they're going through. But something in their life is off when we often see people in those situations and we can take a moment to lift them up to the Father. When we are part of a spiritual family we began to experience what's described in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus is asked about his mother and his father and his brother. And he says, who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who is my father? Who is my brother? They are the people about the work of the kingdom of God. I look around and I see brothers and sisters I remember the day in church that this was being preached, and I I think I was probably about seven, and I remember looking up smack in the middle of the sermon, cutting the preacher off and going, Mom, you're my sister? But my mom was my sister in Christ. My dad is my brother in Christ. The church is the family of faith. Galatians 6.10 tells us to let us do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. The church is often described as a household, a family. One of the most beautiful examples of this comes from King David and comes from the story of of the relationship that developed between he and Mephibosheth. Um, He um, was good friends with Jonathan, Saul's son, and Jonathan and Saul were both killed in battle the same day. And Jonathan, David heard, and he mourned, and he ripped his clothes, and he, he, he was so heartbroken, and he says, go and find Jonathan's relative. I need to take care of them. 
And he went and he found Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was not in the battle that day because he was lame. He was unable to fight. He had infirmities. And he was brought to David's house and was told, you will always have a place at the king's table. It wasn't because of anything Mephibosheth did. It wasn't because he thought highly of Mephibosheth or that he was a talented, winsome character. It wasn't because he had done anything for David. It was simply because of who he was. We love people simply because God loves them. And we welcome them, and we love them, and we serve them because God loved them, and we are making a place at the king's table. We have a place at the king's table because of grace. And so does everyone else. We get to be heirs of the covenant. One of the things that we do in families, one of the things that we do in life is we prepare for the end of life and we prepare um, to take care of those who are in our line, our family line. We do wills. How many of you have done your will in estate planning? Good. More of you need to do that. That's my soapbox for the day. I used to do that as a legal assistant. Take care of your family. You don't want those questions after you are gone. It's, it's, it's not as hard as you think, and, and it's, it may weigh on you spiritually to embrace the idea that you're not going to be here one day, but it's a favor to your family to go and do that. It helps your family. It helps to take care of people that you love. We, um, we often look at Scripture and we wonder how we are to love others, especially people who challenge us. We are told in Scripture, it's easy to love that person over here that's, that super easy to get along with, great to go to lunch with, all those different things. It's harder to love that other person. But then, which is the greater love? Because God loved that person too. Sometimes loving the person that challenged you teaches you more about love. And sometimes those people are in your family. Samuel, First uh, Samuel, again, we were reminded of Mephibosheth. Galatians, the household of faith. No one is excluded from becoming a member of that family of faith. All are invited. This is not a prejudicial love. This is not a prejudicial relationship. It's a two-way street, and it comes with privileges, and it comes with responsibilities, and it comes with a covenant. We covenanted this morning with Eliza. And one of the things that happens is that through baptism, we become part of the family of faith by the work of the Holy Spirit. We're brought into God's new creation. We're made new. We are given this amazing family all around us. I can tell you the names of the people who worked VBS with me as my leaders when I was five years old. And I can tell you that because they made a difference in my life. Not just 
how I grew up, what I choose to do, those things. But they made a difference in my spiritual life. They taught me that having a relationship with God was important. And they taught me about what it meant that he died for me. And he died for you. What does family do for each other? What does it mean? Why did Jesus find it so important to say, woman, here is your son. Brother, here is your mother. Why did he do that? What does family offer to us in the hard times? Mary probably needed a lot of support watching her son hang there on that cross. I cannot imagine what she felt. We need support from one another. Who in here has gone through a hard time in their life? Who in here has had a brother or sister walk through that time in your life with you? We rely on our brothers and sisters, and it's often hard to communicate our needs. I work with the ladies of the Grove here in the church, and it's an amazing ministry. Uh, many of you remember Jessica, who was, uh, had an extended illness, and the, the Grove was kind of formed as a ministry because of what all she went through. And then since then, as people have gone through medical situations in need, others have received the benefit of that ministry. But we often find it, as the pastor who works with that group, I often find people don't want to tell you they have needs. No, I'm good. I, we're, we're good. But I talked to a family this week who had been helped by the Grove, and they said, if it hadn't been for my sisters in the Grove, we would not have made it through. Financially, emotionally, spiritually. What we do matters, and we love each other unconditionally. It doesn't matter whether we like each other when somebody's sick. It doesn't matter whether we like each other in general. Some of you are laughing at that, but I like, you know, it doesn't matter. When you, how many of you in here always like your spouse? Kids, how, good answer, Nick. Nick, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> there are just times I'm, I'm a newlywed and there are times that I don't like my husband and there are times he doesn't like me and that's okay because we love each other unconditionally we made a covenant on May 26 last year to love each other in spite of the things we don't like about each other to love each other simply because we believe that God brought us together to be a family. And that's a covenant we make when we join the church. We love each other. There are so many benefits to living in covenantal and familial relationships. One is it extends life. People who are married and happy live longer. People who are cared for by family members live longer. Your happiness is increased. You accomplish more. There's been studies of um, executives, and those executives with families go higher in the company. 
They handle the challenges of life better. And what we do for our physical health is often better. I have a friend who's on Weight Watchers, and when her friend, her husband, she had tried it many times, but when her husband got on board with her, then she could do it. It makes a difference when you are doing things together. When you come to church together, it makes a difference. There's... Um, I had an opportunity at Marietta First to start a Sunday school class for um, women in the church who were either divorced or their husbands didn't attend or, or something along those lines. They were, they were sort of solos. And they would walk into Sunday school classes and see all these couples and all these different little things, and it would just remind them of what they didn't have. So we opened a door for them to have a place to come. And then those women are doing powerful things. That was about um, 15 years ago. And every so often I get an email, thank you so much for that Sunday school class. It gave me a sister in faith who helped me to start this other ministry. And then we started this other ministry. And I'm like, girl, get it. Keep going. When we worship together, when we fellowship, when we come for small group or Sunday school or a ministry like the Grove or the Friendship Committee, when we come together to sit around the table at Wednesday night dinner or to, um, to go on youth choir and try skiing for the first time, right, Laurie? Laurie's shaking her head, don't do that. But I, I say go for it. Um, when, we, when, we, when you guys come together for the band, when we come together for all these different things, for all the choirs, amazing things happen I love the hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds Our Hearts in Christian Love. It teaches us a lot about walking together. And it teaches us about how God walks with us. As families, we don't always get along. As families, we don't all, you know, sometimes we even pick on each other. But um, I had brothers that picked on me all the time, y'all. All the time. But I love them dearly. And they would stand up for me any day to this day. Do you always like um, the person who's teaching the lesson? I don't know. But that's okay. That's okay. We can love each other. God made it possible for us to have church that is about him. Church that is about faith. The person sitting beside you, the person sitting behind you, the person in the other building in the sanctuary worshiping in traditional service, the people in the nursery. It doesn't matter where you are. We are church. We are the family of faith created to be interdependent, created in covenant, 1 Corinthians 12 leads into the love chapter in 1 Corinthians that we hear so often, that one that says love is patient and kind, not, not boastful, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, all those things. And what lays the foundation for that love chapter is 1 Corinthians 12 that said, we are interdependent, that we have been connected to live dependently in covenant communities because we can't grow as much if we're not. 
The only criteria for membership in the church is acknowledgement of the grace of God through Jesus who freed you from your sin. We are all Mephibosheths. We all need a table of grace to go to. We are all sinners. So I ask you today, who is your family? Who is your brother? Who is your sister?